Today, we're actually going to be talking about a few more of our value statements. And so today, we're doing vibrant family and gospel-centred growth. And there's a practical reason that we're doing two of these value statements rather than one each week, like I'd originally planned. The practical statement is uh, reason is that we want to fit in um, uh, our family service with Made in Music on the 15th. So we're, we're combining these two together. But as I looked at them, they actually go together like a hand in a glove because the context and result of discipleship is family and growth. And they go together really well. Where does discipleship occur? It occurs in family. And what's the context in which we grow? In family. And so I want to begin unpacking our vibrant family vision statement. Um, And here's that statement again for us. We seek to bring glory to God and the hope of the gospel through relationship as vibrant family. Our local church is family where everyone is welcome and can belong. Family is the context for discipleship. As family, we embrace all generations, nurturing deep friendships through love, prayer and caring for each other. We empower and equip each other with compassion, generosity and hospitality naturally in fellowship and faith in a safe space. Vibrant is a great word, isn't it? It really is. It captures so much in just those seven letters. Our local church is family. It's vibrant. It's full of life, full of colour, full of movement, full of energy. And we are a vibrant and dynamic family of all generations. So what is family though? Well, we've often heard it said that you can't choose your family, right? And that's usually said with the connotation that there are some members of our family that we aren't interacting with because they're family and we sort of have to. Um, and if, if they weren't family, we probably wouldn't choose to be around them. But it's a bit different with our church family. You see, because we do, to a certain extent, choose our church family. Yes, God calls us to our church family. And so church is family, where everyone is welcome and can belong. You know, God has placed each of us here to be a part of this vibrant church family. It's his choosing. He's called us here to use our gifts, talents, skills and abilities for his glory and for his family here in this place. And this is a place for, that there is a place for everyone here. You are welcome just as you are. Does that statement sit well with you though? You are welcome just as you are. It's actually a fairly provocative statement for many churches because there's often this expectation that those people who don't behave like a Christian should behave, those people that don't talk like a Christian should talk and those people who don't dress like a Christian should dress should change because they are in church. But did Jesus expect people to change before he came and met them? No. He met them exactly where they were. Now, did they change after they met met him? Well, we've got countless of examples of that occurring. And, And some didn't. 
because they rejected him and that's okay. That's their choice. So people should feel welcome when they come here and, and feel free to come just as they are, just as they feel welcome when they walk in the doors at home because we're among family and this is a place everyone can belong. You know, my parents have moved around a fair bit but whenever I go and visit them in their home, wherever that is, I get that same sense of warmth and welcome wherever they are because they're family. You know, and wherever we are, people should feel that same welcome and that same warmth because we're family and everyone is welcome to come home in that analogy. We sometimes have this idea um, that as Christians that people need to behave the right way and they need to believe the right things before they can belong with us. But that's, that's the wrong way around. Everyone belongs with us. And over time, as they meet Jesus in us, they, they might believe like us and become bearers of hope like us and then their behaviours can be shaped by the hope they have in the gospel of Jesus Christ like us. But it begins with belonging. There is a place for everyone to belong here. See, because family is the context for discipleship. A healthy and vibrant family is where each member of the family is able to thrive, not just survive. And as such, our family here is the context for discipleship. You know, just as a parent trains, equips, encourages and provides everything at their disposal that's possible to their children so that they might thrive in this life, so too we do that for each other as family. It is only in a healthy environment that we are able to flourish. And when we're working together well as a vibrant family, our efforts and energies are directed towards further healthy expressions of family rather than being diverted to futile arguments and distractions. You know, discipleship is a natural part of family. It's where it happens. Older generations building into the next generations, just as parents and grandparents invest into their children and grandchildren, so too we do that amongst our church family. And we have the blessing of younger generations serving and encouraging the older generations. We each contribute what God has blessed us with because we are all part of his family here. Paul puts it well when he speaks of the church as being a body and we're all members of that body, each with our special part to play and contribute to the health of the whole. So if you've got your Bibles, open them up to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So we're going to camp out just for a little while. We'll read 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12 and onwards. 12th of the 12th, that rings, oh, that's Kelly's birthday. Anyway, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 12, I better not forget that. For just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptised into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Verse 14. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. 
If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. I like that, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honourable, we bestow the greatest, the greater honour. And our unrepresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honour to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honoured, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So you might be an eye, I might be a little toe, you might be an elbow, but when we work together in a healthy way, we all grow as disciples. That's why these, these two values today work so well together because family is the context for us to grow as disciples. But you know, there's some, some specific values as family that we need to make sure we encourage, that we develop and we continue in so that we all are honoured and rejoiced together and so that no one is lacking anything and that as members we may care for one another. And the first thing is that as family, we embrace all generations. No single generation in this church is less valuable than any other. We embrace all generations. We value each and every person of each and every age. We value all generations. But can I ask you a provocative question? Is any generation more important than another one? I've just said that no single generation in this church is less valuable than another. But is there a generation more important than others? It's a deep probing question to ask. And your answer and my answer to that question will speak volumes about our priorities for our family. So is there a generation more important than others? Not more valuable but more important? Well, I would say that the most important generations are those that are missing or underrepresented in our family and the younger generations who are the current and future of the church. And hear me on this, I'm not saying that they are more valuable, I'm saying that they're more important. 
And so why would I, as the pastor, say that these generations are more important? Because they need the hope of the gospel too. We will naturally cater well for the generations we already have well represented. Because if people come to us in those generations, they're going to naturally feel warmly welcomed by their peers. That, that, that is a natural reality. And we obviously already do cater well for that because we're well represented in our older generations. But I believe we must always keep the generations who are underrepresented here and are the future at the forefront of our minds and make them a priority and focus more effort and energy towards reaching those generations with the hope of the gospel. Because we're family and family spans all generations. And so if we are missing generations, then we need to step up our game to reach those generations with the hope of the gospel. And so when it comes to to making decisions, being a vibrant family demands that we think of younger people first. We should be prioritising young people and young families everywhere So when we do something that you might not agree with or you might think to yourself, well, maybe, you know what, I might be 60 or 70 or 80 and that's not my preference, but would that connect well with someone in their 20s or 30s? Would that connect well with a teenager? Would that connect well with my grandkids? Maybe they're the questions we should be asking if something grinds up against us and it's not our preference. Because the reason we make a lot of those decisions is to reach the next generations. You know, I've been reading a book called Growing Young. It's focused on finding out what churches are doing right amongst those churches who are growing through greater numbers of teens and young adults attending their church. And they've discovered that there are six core commitments that these churches all have in common. And they put this in a really nice wheel, but I couldn't bother with a graphic for that. I just did boring stuff. But first of all, it's empowering leadership. They actually call this thing called, um, coin this term, keychain leadership. It's handing over the keys to people when they're ready to take over. It's going with them and unlocking the doors for them and supporting them while they're going and then handing the keys over when they're ready to leave. Yeah, they, they call it keychain leadership. But what it is, it's, it's empowering the next generation of leaders. Second point they make is that a church that grow, is growing young empathises with today's young people. They also take the message of Jesus seriously. You know, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the most important thing that we can pronounce, that we can make known, that we can make great of because that takes the message of Jesus Christ seriously. The fourth one is to fuel a warm community. When I say we're doing really well at that, I think most people are feeling warmly welcomed and and feel like they can belong here when they come. That's great. The fifth is prioritising young people and families everywhere. And the last one is be the best neighbours. Now, a common mistake that they observed was when it got to number four in the wheel, fuel a warm community, some churches got distracted here and focused inwardly and just became more warm and more friendly among the people in the church and instead grew old rather than growing young because they didn't take the next step and prioritise young people and families everywhere. 
Do you reckon that story is common in Australian churches? Well, I think it is. And so how do we stop that? How do we put a break on the growing old congregation in Australian churches? They gave us the answer. Prioritise young people and families everywhere. And I don't want us to make the same mistake that, that those churches did. And, you know, as long as I'm here, we're not going to. I'm making that commitment. We're not going to because we're going to work hard at prioritising young people and families everywhere because the future of our church relies upon it. And so do those people in those age groups that so desperately need the hope of the gospel. That's what it's all about. And one way that we can continue to do that is also by nurturing deep friendships. A world can be a lonely world at times. But when you're part of a vibrant family, you are surrounded by friends. But we also have to work hard at nurturing deep friendships and, and not just making superficial connections. And there's several ways we can do that. We do that through love. John 13.35 says, By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Loving each other in our family is a great way for others to see Jesus' work in our lives in action. Because when someone offends you, if you love them, you work towards reconciliation and restoration, which is a stark contrast to our world which seems to encourage the opposite, to burn all bridges and discard the relationship. But as family, loving each other is part of the glue that binds us all together. Another way is through prayer. And I must admit that lately our prayer meetings have not been very well attended. You know, I know it's been busy. But, but part of being a vibrant family is coming together and praying for each other and praying with each other. You see, deep friendships are nurtured in the spiritual realm as well. You can't go deep in a friendship if you never discuss the most important things in life together. One of those is our spiritual life. And if we never admit that we have need and we have a need for, to be prayed for, then we're not opening ourselves up. You know, part of friendship is being vulnerable. And when we're vulnerable, that means that we open ourselves up to be hurt. But when we're in a loving family, is that really a, a, a risk? Is there really that risk of vulnerability that stops us from opening up? Because we know that these people that we're amongst as friends and family love us. And so I don't think there's a risk. I think that if we don't open up, if we don't share our vulnerable areas, if we don't share with people, hey, I need prayer for this, then we're actually doing ourselves an injustice. We're actually denying ourselves the ability to have others share those things with us as deep friends. Maybe it's time that we sort of dropped our guard a bit and said, you know what, hey, I'm struggling. Please pray for me. You know, and one great way you can do that is coming along on our Wednesday mornings at 
and sharing. We spend the first half an hour or so praying for each other and caring for each other. This is one way we also care for each other. We spend the first 30 or so minutes and the same on Thursdays at 7 o'clock just sharing about the pastoral care needs and concerns that we're aware of amongst our church family and our friends and our community. And then we pray. We pray for each other. We pray for the needs we're aware of. And we pray <coughs> for our church, for our region, and often we're praying for our prime minister and our leaders and, and our nation as well. So why don't you come along and join us if you're able to. Maybe it's one thing that could help make a priority as well. Because there's other ways that we can care for each other too, not just prayer. We can do it in practical ways. And so there's a few things we're going to start doing next year as well that is born out of this vision to practically care for people, um, particularly the the most vulnerable and, and the elderly amongst us. We also empower and equip each other. And we do this with compassion, with generosity, with hospitality, and we do it naturally because it comes naturally for family. Caring for each other and equipping and empowering each other is one of those natural things that happens in a vibrant family. Colossians 3.12 says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. It's part of what we're called to be as a family and we're to do it in fellowship and in faith and in a safe space. You know, this is a safe space and it will remain a safe space because family needs to be able to feel comfortable and at peace when they come home. And maintaining and further developing the safety of our church physically and emotionally and through training our people is really important for healthy ministry. You know, seven of us spent all day yesterday in a training session on this exact issue, being a safe church. There are so many people who need hope that are in terrible, hopeless circumstances in our community. And being a safe space assists our ability to minister to these people in need and to build those relationships so that people can meet the hope of Jesus in us. We seek to bring glory to God and the hope of the gospel through relationship as vibrant family. You know, relationships are central to a strong, healthy and vibrant family. And so we want to nurture those and and invest into them. And they're also essential for us to grow as Christians. And so we have our other value statement, gospel-centred growth. We seek to bring glory to God and the hope of the gospel through gospel-centred growth, the result of discipleship. We will fulfil Christ's great commission through outreach and discipleship, through a growing love for God and others. We will equip and empower each other to grow in faith and knowledge of the Bible and express the love of Christ through prayer and relationships as reproducing disciples. Gospel-centered growth is the result of discipleship. You know, growth in our understanding and application of the gospel to our circumstances is sort of what we're talking about here. And, and it can often be a choice that we make. We can choose to grow through the circumstances of life and become more like Jesus in the way we respond by applying the great hope and grace of the gospel 
or we can respond out of our flesh and reject our opportunity to grow because we choose how we respond. It's also true that we need to make our growth a priority and intentionally choose to do things to help us grow in our walk with the Lord and grow in our understanding of God and knowledge of the Scriptures and, and how to put our hope in action. I want to do more on that in a moment because central to our growth as disciples is what Christ has called us to do. In the statement it says we will fulfil Christ's great commission through outreach and discipleship through a growing love for God and for others. The Great Commission is Matthew 28. Most people usually say 19 and 20, but I'm going back two verses to give us a little bit more context. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So when we read the Great Commission, we often only focus on these two, these last two verses. But I want us to go back and look at what comes before. See, Jesus has risen from the grave. And the 11 disciples had followed Jesus' command to go to the mountain. There they saw Jesus and they worshipped him, which is a right response when you come before Jesus, right? But some doubted and that's a human response. And I'm sure that there are times that we have doubted God's working. You know, and that's that's part of being a disciple. It gets us to question things, mold them over, work them out, work through them and, and figure things out so that through that process, that's the process we actually grow as disciples. And we grow in our love for God and our love for others as we can continually wrestle with these concepts and these things. And so, Jesus then actually speaks to the disciples and he says this, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I love that because Jesus has supreme authority over everything. He'd conquered death. He'd risen from the grave. He's paid the penalty for our sins. He's given us a hope for an eternal future for those of us who believe and Jesus wants that great hope to be shared. Therefore, he says, as I have all authority, therefore, go. Wherever you go, make disciples, not just of your own people, but of all people. Make disciples of all nations. And as you are making disciples, baptise them. Baptise these new disciples into my death and resurrection. Baptise them in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. But don't stop there. Teach them what I taught you. Teach them to obey my commands and my teaching. Not just some of what I've taught, but all of what I've taught, even the hard stuff. I'm not going to leave you alone to do this by yourself. Don't worry. I'll be with you always and in all places and at all times right until the end of time. You've got this and I've got you. 
That's the point of the Great Commission. To mobilise disciples of Christ, to make more disciples of Christ. To grow the kingdom of God as we grow in our love for God and our love for others. And so our church, as a church, we've made this commitment. We've made the commitment to equip and empower each other to grow in faith and knowledge of the Bible. And small groups and discipleship groups are the predominant vehicles for equipping and empowering each other to grow in faith and knowledge of the Bible. If you are coming along here on a Sunday to be fed and to grow simply by the messages on a Sunday, I will fail you because I can't do it enough. I only take up half an hour of your time, roughly, maybe a bit more today, we'll, we'll see how we go, um, but I only take up half an hour of your time. That is not enough to grow. I mean, if you have a plant and you only give it half an hour of sunlight a week, is that plant going to grow? I didn't say mushroom, I said plant. <laughs> All right? No, it's not. It needs more. You know, self-feeding is how we grow. But the best way to grow is as a self-feeder, you're in the Scriptures yourself, you're reading the Bible yourself, but then you're talking about that with other Christians and you're doing it in relationship, you're doing that in community. Because if you're just coming along on Sunday expecting that's going to tick my boss, I'm going to grow just by the message I hear on a Sunday, it's not going to work. 2 Timothy 3, 16-17 said, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. You know, growing in our understanding and our knowledge of the Bible is so vitally important to our growth as disciples because it's in the Scriptures that they have been breathed into existence by God and it is those Scriptures that teach us, that rebuke us, that correct us and train us in righteousness for the purpose of growing us as God's servants to be equipped for all that he has called us to do, for every good work. And so if we neglect the Scriptures, if we neglect reading them, if we neglect studying them together, talking about them and how they relate to us and our circumstances, then we neglect the commands of Christ and we neglect our spiritual needs. How can we introduce others to Christ in us if we don't have a growing relationship and a growing understanding and knowledge of Him? How can we teach others to obey His commands if we fail to obey ourselves? I believe that's called hypocrisy and I don't like that and I'm sure you don't either. Now we're called to grow in faith, in knowledge, in understanding of the Scriptures in community together as family so that we can express the love of Christ and make more disciples of Christ. Express the love of Christ through prayer and relationships as reproducing disciples. You know, God saved you for a purpose. That purpose is to bring Him glory by making more disciples. 
bring the hope of the gospel to more people. And so it's really important that we are active in disciple reproduction. So to this end, I'm challenging each one of us to make a simple but important commitment to do the following. Pray for three friends that need the hope of the gospel. Write the names of three of your friends or maybe even a family member down and commit to praying for them each and every day. Pray that God would draw them to himself. Pray for opportunities to bring the hope of the gospel into their lives. Pray for them in good times and in bad. Pray for their health and well-being and pray for their salvation above all. Pray that God would bless them. The second is to develop deeper relationships with those three friends. Make an effort to invest deeply into your relationships with those friends. Take them out for lunch or for a coffee. Buy them a gift. Send them a card. Have them over for a meal. Go on a walk with them. Go hiking if that's your thing. I don't know what you want to do together. They're your friends. So you'll know, won't you? Whatever works for you. But intentionally invest time into that relationship. And the third one is to take up the opportunities to bring hope to them. God will provide you with some amazing opportunities to share about the hope of the gospel with your friends. You have been praying fervently for them. You have been building deep friendships with them. You've been investing into their life. God will use that for his glory. God will give you the words to speak, the time to do it and the receptive heart. It might not be the first time, but there will be many opportunities through your relationships together. And then they might also agree maybe to come to church with you uh, next year when we have Gospel Sunday where we'll be specifically gearing our service towards sharing the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. It's not so hard, is it? It's not too much extra to put on your plate just to pray for three friends every day and to catch up with your mates more regularly. It's probably a good thing for most of us to do anyway, right? But what about if your friends are all Christians? I know a lot of us, when we get to a certain age, all of our friendship circles are all people like us. Nearly all of them are Christians. Well, maybe if you're thinking, well, I don't have three friends that aren't saved, maybe it's time to get out of the house. Maybe it's time to go and be vitally involved in community. Maybe it's time to, to join a band or join a motor club or join a choir or join a, I don't know, whatever. But what you like doing, go and find other people like doing that and make friends. We're, we're saved for a purpose. And that is to, to bring the hope of the gospel to more people, which brings more glory to God, which is why we exist, right? So who knows? God might even bless you with the thrill of being a person who brings the hope of the gospel to your friends. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we ask for the Holy Spirit to motivate each one of us with an extra fervent towards reaching our friends with the gospel. 
Lord, I pray that you would continually prompt us to be praying for these three friends of ours, to be taking and prioritising our time to invest into those relationships, to bless those people, to take them out for a meal, for a movie, for a coffee, for whatever, to give them a gift, to invite them over, have them around our place, to do whatever is required, Lord, to build those friendships so that, Lord, there is a relationship that is a deep relationship that is, is shared and that is the, the, the perfect vessel to share the hope of the gospel that we have with these friends. Lord, we are called to be reproducing disciples. And Lord, nothing brings you more glory than seeing people come to a saving faith in you because they have taken hold of the hope that is in the gospel. And Lord, I pray that you would bring growth to your kingdom here in Wangaratta in the northeast because people are coming to a saving faith in you through the efforts of your people taking the hope that we have to them. So Lord, may you drive that within each one of us individually and as a family here. May these people who are newly discovering the hope of the gospel find a place here where they can belong. Lord, because we are family and may this vibrant family here continue to grow in knowledge and love for you and for each other and may we continually prioritise young people and families everywhere because it's too important not to. Lord, our teenagers, our children, our young adults in our community, they need the hope of the gospel too. So may we prioritise them over and above our own preferences and love them just like we love the people already here. May you go out with us this week and encourage us. May you continually prompt us, Lord Jesus, to be prayerful for our three friends. In your name we pray. Amen.